The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I'm your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we are back for another episode with our guest, Pat Abendroth. Welcome back, Pat. Great to be with you. Appreciate it. Thank you for saying Abendroth. It's supposed to be Abendroth. Abendroth. There was a family, there was a family feud two generations ago. And I think it was my great, great grandmother who said from this day forward, it will no longer be Abendroth. It will be Abendroth. And so Mm -hmm. that's like proof of depravity. We, we, we hold it. We hold a grudge. It's Abendroth. It's like German for evening sun, red sun, but we say it wrong. So thank you so much, Roger, for continuing the heritage of saying it wrong. You're welcome. It, it just joins in with us who every person we ever meet mispronounces our last names too. We're Armenian. It's just part of being Armenian. So okay, you're welcome. Good. Welcome yeah, to good, the club. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Pat joined us last time on an episode that we talked about covenant theology. Uh, If you haven't listened to that episode, we encourage you to go back and listen to that one. That was really helpful on covenant theology. Pat is senior pastor, lead pastor at Omaha Bible Church in Omaha, Nebraska. He recently wrote a book on covenant theology, so that's why we wanted to talk to him. Uh, But on this episode, we want to transition uh, to another topic related uh, in a way to covenant theology, and that's uh, biblicism and understanding what that is, what's, you know, how's that applied, and just to help us think through that topic. So I thought it'd be helpful for you to give us a definition of, of how you would define biblicism for our audience. I was waiting for you to cue the scary music, Roger, when we say biblicism. (laughs) We'll bring that in later. (laughs) Okay, good, good. I think maybe before defining it, I think some of us are talking past each other, not on your episode, Mm -hmm. not on your podcast right now, but some, some of us in the debate Twitter, what do we call it? It's X now um, are talking (laughs) past each other because there are different definitions. Different people mean different things. And uh, maybe well, let's start with, there's a certain kind of biblicism that I would totally affirm. I, mm-hmm. I would break out the ink. Um, I, I, I'm ready to get the tattoo to wear the badge or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. just being being biblical. So yeah. if, uh, if being a biblicist is being biblical, I'm all in. Uh, 100%, I believe, in sola scriptura, uh, inerrancy, infallibility, sufficiency of scripture. And so there is that definition. And I think it comes typically from our opponents, so, you know, the CNN type, right? The, the, the unbeliever, that's painting with a broad brush, sorry. Yeah. But the person who's an unbeliever <laughs> who, who doesn't like people like us, who doesn't like Christians who believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that it actually happened, they yeah. might say, oh, Pat, you know, you're just a biblicist. What they mean is I just believe the Bible. Well, mm. that kind of biblicism, let's applaud it absolutely yeah. without any question. Some people think biblicism is being biblical. Okay, great. Let's do that definition. Two thumbs up. But there's yeah. another uh, way of explaining biblicism. And some people use it and they use it uh, regarding being inconsistent. Uh, and what I mean by that is we've all met people in our Christian lives by now where people say, well, I'm not a Calvinist and I'm not an Arminian. Uh, instead, I'm a biblicist. 
Mm. So I think I heard, I've heard many people say things like that and yeah. they, they don't have it sorted out. They don't make, I would rather say mystery. There's a mystery regarding human responsibility and divine sovereignty. So in the reformed tradition, we've said things like mystery. We haven't said biblicist, but mm. sometimes these people say, I remember a Calvary chapel years ago, maybe it was Chuck Smith. I can't remember. He called himself a Calminian, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> right. Because in my opinion, it's because you haven't really done enough study of texts. Uh, they're mm. apparently in conflict. Maybe if you read more history, more exegetical arguments, you'd come to the right conclusions and you'd land somewhere. Uh, but in the meantime, you're either a Calvinist or, or an Arminian. Um, so sometimes, some, sometimes people use it as an excuse because they, they can't figure out an apparent contradiction. And so mm -hmm. they say, well, throw their, throw their arms up in the air. I'm just a biblicist, I guess. I've used it that way before. I've used it on myself before. I wish I wouldn't have. Um, but again, it's fine. I, that that kind of gets a passing grade, I guess. <laughs> um, I had a professor once, Pat, to to speak to that. I had a professor who said uh, we we uh, he was exegeting some New Testament passage, uh -huh. and he explained it. And then we said, okay, well, how does that fit with some you know some other passage? And he said, hey, hey, hey. I'm I'm a New Testament scholar. That's the systematician's job. Like I, I don't have to make it fit. I just tell you what this text says right here. This one, <laughs> interesting, right? That sounds very post enlightenment, right? <laughs> um, okay, yeah, I've heard it before yeah. too, as well. Yeah. And and I think at the end of the day, it does fit a system. Now maybe we we don't under maybe we're wrong. But if there's one divine author going to the point there, Jason, if there's one divine author, some somehow it does fit his system, Amen. even if we can't mm -hmm. figure out maybe it doesn't fit our system. So uh, again, I can accept that kind. Um, the kind I have a bigger problem with would be uh, biblicism that says uh, I'm being resistant to any kind of theological construct, uh, any kind of extra biblical label. Uh, and so I'm just a biblicist. I don't like all of those systematic kinds of things, theological constructs, constructs that are all man-made. There are, they are all artificial and I'm just going to be a biblicist. And so therefore, for example, therefore I don't like covenant theology. Therefore I don't like the covenant of works because I can't find it in a word search. Uh, therefore I don't like the covenant of redemption because I can't find it in a Bible word search or the covenant of grace. Well, newsflash, um, try the Trinity. And thankfully, most of our friends and people who listen to us affirm the doctrine of the Trinity, mm -hmm. but they shouldn't. Oh, I don't. I shouldn't say that. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> hy hy hypothetically, they shouldn't if they're truly a biblicist, mm. right? Uh, hypothetically, they shouldn't affirm the hypostatic union, this this mysterious reality of the the God Man, uh, mm -hmm. if they're a biblicist, because hypostatic union's not there. So. Yeah. That's that's what I'm getting at. That's the definition I of, of what I don't the what kind I don't like. I think we should be against. Um, you know, Robert Bellarmine, uh, mm -hmm. the the arch arch rival of Protestants, uh, the yeah. famous Roman Catholic. He he was after the Protestants because they weren't following the exact verbiage of Scripture, uh, mm -hmm. because we were using mm -hmm. theological. Our our forefathers were using theological constructs based upon Scripture. And he was, if you will, the biblicist in the debate, hmm. which is interesting to know. That is interesting. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, Arius versus Athanasius. Yeah. Uh, rem right. Remember, Athanasius yeah. was like, hey, only Bible words. 
Uh, Athanasius would be like the modern day Jehovah's Witness for your for your listener. Yeah. De- denying the deity of You Christ. mean Arius, Arius. Sorry, Not sorry. Athanasius. Yeah. Exactly. Thank <laughs> you for the correction. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, right? So Arius is the heretic. Athanasius is making up extra biblical words mm-hmm. to figure out who the heretics are, to find out who really believes all of the Bible. But Arius is the one who's who's the biblicist in the debate. Yeah. So- I think that kind of helps people maybe to start thinking in these terms. Uh, Richard Muller, a Mm. profound and helpful historian, Richard Muller says virtually all of the 16th century anti-Trinitarians were biblicists, Mm. end of quotation. Uh, So it's okay to have extra biblical categories. In fact, some of our heroes who've really been helpful have insisted on extra biblical categories uh, because in one sense, every heretic says, oh, I believe the Bible. Maybe every's mm-hmm. not true, but you know, I believe the Bible's true too. Well, we start having to come up with labels and categories to to try to sort out who really is on our team and who's not on our team. Uh, who believes in one true eternal God who's always been God, who always will be God, who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So well, I, and it's helpful. Yep. That is helpful. That's helpful because you know, <clears throat> we, we know it, we see it these days that a number of cults want to be known and seen as Christian mm-hmm. and they'll say a lot of the same words that you and I will say from scripture, Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. But unless we have more than that statement, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole theology behind those statements that we, we affirm that they don't affirm. Uh, and so if you want to play the biblicist game uh, in, in the, in the way we were discussing it, not the other two definitions, Right. Uh, you could run into some problems in your conversations with some of those who are in cults even. Jason, I think you're exactly right. They're going to they're going to agree on just about every Bible verse you read together if you're sitting down yeah. with them. And and so now you've got to maybe you don't just use the word trinity, but you have to start explaining the theological construct to get them to disagree to figure out you're not actually part of the same religion. So, I think yeah. that's profound that you bring that up and, and really helpful. Really helpful. How do you see biblicism related to covenant theology? Well, I think the reason I put the appendix in the book covenant yeah. theology is because so many people that I've met don't believe in covenant theology because they tend to be kind of biblicist in their mindset. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, and I, I I kind of come out of that background, I was warned that the stuff isn't actually in the Bible. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, human philosophy or somebody's ideas. So when you type in covenant and you limit your search in your Bible search to Genesis one to three, you don't find the word. And mm-hmm. the, the opponent of covenant theology says, aha, see, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Covenant's not there. And, and, and at first you're like, huh, that's right. Wait, hold on a second. The word sin isn't used either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, well, <laughs> wait a second. Um, and they did a marriage that, you know, the anti covenant covenantalist did a marriage seminar and they talked about, you know, marriage in Genesis. Uh-huh. Well, that, 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 word, that word's not in there either. Mm-hmm. And so, or, you know, how about the Davidic covenant uh, in second Samuel? It doesn't, it doesn't name it as such there. It doesn't the Psalms who are cross-referencing. So you don't have to have the actual word to have it be a reality. And so I'm trying to, uh, what I try to do in the book, Covenant Theology, is prove the theological covenants, covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption, exegetically, there they are. You can f- prove all of them. Mm-hmm. And then 
add history. So it's good to, you know, not be the first person to come up with it mm -hmm. uh, and bring people along. But then I add the appendix because I, I want to help people and say, listen, <laughs> confessions are good. <laughs> it's good to learn from history. It's good to not be a biblicist, even though I just tried to argue like one <laughs> mm -hmm. to try to win you over. Yeah. Um, let's not reinvent the wheel because usually it turns out square as Michael Horton says. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's probably helpful. So anyway, I hope that kind of helps at least a little bit. So the biggest issue folks yeah. have, you know, someone who's struggling kind of with covenant theology, they, mm -hmm. often it's like you said, that the word's not there or that phrase covenant of works mm -hmm. is just not there or covenant of grace. Well, that's maybe a little easier. There's actually more language that's similar to that at least. Uh -huh. um, so they, they wrestle with that and, um, some have said something like administration of works. Mm -hmm. Okay. But people don't have a problem with that. It's interesting. More people I see have a problem with covenant of works rather than the administration of works. Yeah. And I wonder if you, if, uh, if you've noticed this, uh, Pat, is it because the word covenant is used enough times in scripture, mm -hmm. but they say, but see, it's not used in the way you're using it. So if you bring this totally mm -hmm. foreign language administer although administration is mm -hmm. probably in scripture too but administration of works and that's a little easier for us to swallow because you know we don't see that language in scripture and so we could give it whatever meaning we want so to speak sure sure um oh a random thought was i was just looking at larkin's charts the other day you know because that's what <laughs> that's what you do but <laughs> i was in i was in mike i was in mike grimes office my co-host on the pactum and he had the book in there he gotten it from a grandparent or something and and flipping through it you know some of the verbiage is different but you know here's the granddaddy of them all when it comes to dispensationalists and mm. charts and administration <laughs> of works and stuff yeah i he basically says covenant of works you know we, okay mm. maybe it's ad, adamic or what you know creation covenant or yeah. something but yeah. i thought it makes me think maybe in more recent years uh, some in dispensationalism have worked harder than even their forefathers did mm. maybe mm. to ins insulate the system to safeguard the system i don't know for sure but it's yeah. kind of intriguing to me but to go back yeah. to the point of you know covenant that i worked hard to to even look up as many definition definitions as i could find yeah because there's so many different ones and mm. at the end of the day it seems like and i try to document it in the book uh, mm. it, it's it's a formal agreement and i don't mean both sides have to be mm. equals um right but um that the, and there are blessings and there are consequences in this formal relationship this formal mm -hmm. agreement that creates a relationship and you have the earmarks of such things in the early chapters of genesis so adam is made in god's image well there's obligation built in that right mm -hmm. he, there's a creator and a creature made in god's image you don't you don't even have to say anything else <laughs> and there's all it's already covenantal Mm -hmm. And then you move on and God says things that, that there's promises there. There are also consequences. All of these things have the earmarks of a covenantal relationship. And it's just the worst kind of bibl biblicism. I, I hate to say it, but that ignore, you know, don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I believe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's all there. And, and the, the fallout proves that it's all there. And so yeah. I, I get worked up about it because it's almost like you're trying to keep people from, you know, captain obvious here. We're trying to keep people from that, which is obvious. Then we go to other texts and, you know, until five minutes ago, that's what Christians did. 
<laughs> you go to other texts because yeah. there is one divine al author ultimately. And, you know, Hosea 6 likens Israel to the breaking of the covenant that Adam broke. Mm -hmm. The weird thing is the biblicists run like, you know, the we just turned the, the lights on and the rats are scurrying. <laughs> and they're like, well, that doesn't really mean, that doesn't really mean Adam. Well, yeah. now, why are you siding with the theological liberals now who don't believe in historic Adam? Well, there's a place that could be referred to as Adam. And I'm just like, stop, yeah. stop. So thank you for letting me get that off my chest. But. <laughs> I had a I had a conversation with somebody who actually <laughs> went down that road and said, don't use Hosea 6 to justify it. Yeah, we need to reclaim it, that verse. It's yeah, it's, it, it's there and it means what it says it means, unless you want to side with you know the, the bardians of the world or something. So yeah, it, it it's yeah. crazy and, it, and it's such a blessing to people's lives to say, number one, um, Adam failed and yeah. the last Adam succeeded, and and you should rest in Christ. And what a blessing that is! And isn't it amazing to know that this was all ordained and decreed before the foundation of the world that this would mm -hmm. happen and be sure and how wonderful. And, and how about this? You can read your Bible in light of the covenant of redemption because before mm. the foundation of the world starts before Genesis one, yeah. you can look for the storyline and you can look for it unfolding and you don't have to just do character studies. Um, yeah. be, a, be a better Moses, <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> you know, Moses is a mediator and he's a pretty good one, uh, but he's not good enough. And, yeah. and the people are yeah. redeemed out of Egypt and they enter the promised land, but it's not a good enough promised land. You know, no. it's, it's all the fingerprints are everywhere. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Help, yeah. We can help people with this. So it gets exciting, but it, it's, it's a problem when uh, this biblicism thing is keeping people from reading their Bibles better, um, mm. reading the Bible. I, as one of my friends likes to say, we should read the Bible with the church. Mm -hmm. And, and what he means by that is, um, Yes, the church in the here and now, but also, you know, you read the Bible with the believers, the men and women, boys and girls who've gone before us, yeah. blood, sweat, and tears, Man. literally sometimes. And they didn't know everything, but no. they had the Holy Spirit like we do. And we would be crazy not to pay attention to how God was leading them uh, so that we don't have to recreate the, you know, the, recreate the wheel, wheel, so to speak, as we already said. Yeah. Amen. Well, yeah, what other? Oh, go ahead, Roger. I'm just going to say, thinking along those lines of, of there seems to be individualism of wanting to be able to interpret the Bible yourself for the priesthood of all yeah. of believers. And, you know, I went to a church when I was first became a believer and mm -hmm. they came out of a tradition of no creed, but the Bible. We just read the Bible. We don't look at confessions. We don't look at anything else. We can just it's right in the text. Just read it. And we're just going to explain it. So don't bring, you know. They'll bring other things in. And it seemed to be, you know, the more I think about it, that there's a hermeneutic, you know, a hermeneutical issue of how we even think about hermeneutics, if even how we're interpreting, you know, of, mm -hmm. of thinking, you know, how are we looking at the new Old Testament and the New Testament? You yes. know, are we yes. interpreting one in light of the other or the mm -hmm. opposite? I remember in seminaries, like, don't let the future passages reinterpret what came before and it's like ah, but that information does it's all it's it's one and and that disconnect caused so much confusion for yes. for my own mind so it, it would almost be like there's a veil over you and you're like an unregenerate person according yeah. to paul to the corinthians you know don't read the bible like an unbeliever yeah well, how, how crazy is that 
So I'm with you. And the individualistic thing, you know, one of those kinds of churches, you know, that comes out of the, can't think of the guy's name, you know, that's no creed, but Christ, that whole thing. It's the church Uh, of Christ. It's Stone Campbell movement. Stone Campbell movement. That's right. I had a family member who was involved in one of those. And so I wanted to prove to them and show my family member that, that I'm pretty sure they believe in baptismal regeneration. Mm -hmm. It was hard to pin them down. I had to send who knows, or maybe I did it through a friend. We had to send who knows how many emails to finally get them to, to explain their doctrine, right? That they're, they're hiding it. They believe in baptismal regeneration. And Mm -hmm. so what we're doing with confessions, and maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves is we're, we don't think confessions are inspired or inerrant, uh, but, but we're writing down what we think the Bible means by what it says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it can be examined criticized. Um, We can help people. And and I think the, I'm trying to push people away from biblicism, individualism, no checks, no balances, what Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis called chronological Mm -hmm. snobbery and push them toward confessionalism, right? Confess means agree. Mm -hmm. What has the church before us agreed upon? Uh, And they weren't going for being exhaustive. There were plenty of doctrines they still disagreed on. Sure. You read the history of the Westminster Confession. There's a lot of disagreements. These are the things they can agree to, hundreds of these individuals. And so I'm pushing people toward more something like confessionalism and and scripture's the judge over that, right? Mm -hmm. We're not saying it's it's scriptural authority, but it is uh, secondary. Um, it, It is at least showing what our history's been. So we're not trying to become a cult. Right, cults are people who make make stuff up Mm -hmm. nobody else has believed before. So I'm just going off on a tangent. I'll I'll calm down and let you guys talk. (laughs) Um, Jason, did you have a? I cut Jason off, but uh, we'll give him a give him a second here. So So, so using using the c word, the cult word. um, Yeah, I I recently have gotten in some trouble for this. But if you think about it, if I'm coming up with things other people haven't come up with before. Kind of seems like a cult. If Christians haven't come up, haven't haven't held to this view before, that seems cultic. And maybe we should rephrase it and say personality cult. Mm. So if if you know church if the church where I pastor has to keep changing its doctrinal statement to reflect my idiosyncratic views, and then Mm. I die, and I will, then the new pastor has his you know particular views, and now we have to change it again. Yeah, I think that's kind of cultic. Um, and, and, oh, yeah. conf- well, and, and who, you know, if, if we're worried about, you know, scripture being the final authority, what we've done in that case is actually given the final authority to the pastor. Yeah. Uh, right. Break. Because it's whatever exactly. the pastor teaches, that's, that's the view of the church. And one of the things we did when we planted uh, the church that we planted, mm-hmm. uh, one of the early things that I, I kind of pushed the elders to, and then eventually we were able to adopt was, Hey, I, I don't want it to be about what Jason teaches. We want it to be about the historic Christian faith, and here's a document that kind of put, brings that together. So let's let's confess this, and you could hold me accountable and all of our preachers accountable to that document instead of just to whatever whim, you know, whatever wherever the wind blows that that week for me. It's so much wiser, right? And it's so more historically Christian to yeah. say, yeah, that, this is what we're going to do. I mean, I'll, I'll fall. Uh, here, here's a, a good example for me would be, and I mean, no disrespect to the <laughs> preacher. So, but disrespect toward Pat. So I used to 
believe as a, a young Christian, as a follower of John MacArthur, who I've really appreciated, he denied the eternal sonship of Jesus. And so guess what? He's a Bible guy and he studied Greek and Hebrew. I denied the, I denied the eternal sonship of Jesus too, because that's mm. what Bible people do. Uh, and so then John changes his view. And <laughs> as a good personality cult follower, Pat mm. Abendroth changes his view too. <laughs> Yeah. And along with, I suppose, thousands of people. Now, I'm yeah. thankful for the trajectory. I'm yeah. thankful that he changed. I'm thankful for that without question. So no disrespect meant, but that's not that's not a healthy way to do things. That is a reason why, like you, Jason, we adopted a historic confession of faith. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's not inerrant or infallible. Only right. the scripture is. But it's good to say, here's what other Christians have believed. It'd be a good idea if we tried to tried to believe what they believe as well. Yeah. And we'll probably step in it. Sorry to say that on your podcast. Mm -hmm. We have to change I'm this sorry. from G rating <laughs> to parental guidance suggested. <laughs> then we don't have to step in it so many times, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's probably a, a, a good kind of example. You know, uh, Roger, you were alluding to something earlier that I thought was really important that do we now read the old Testament scriptures through the lens of the new Testament scriptures? Mm -hmm. Do we, do we have the right to do that? And actually it fits mm -hmm. well with the biblicism issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking on uh, one of our Wednesday night studies about uh, the Psalms even, and mm -hmm. looking at, you know, thinking about how the Lord himself reflects on the Psalms as a reflection of him, who he is. Yeah. And they're pointing to him. And I talked about the road to Emmaus and the disciples there. And I said, can you imagine now Jesus reveals himself? He goes through all the scriptures and shows himself. And then he says, now, when you go back and look at the scriptures, though, just forget about everything I said. Don't worry about finding me there. Just, you know, just in its own context. And then if it, no way, right? I'm going to, I'm going to use your line. I'm stealing that. That's good. Please do. I just uh -huh. thought, and, and the, the folks yeah. that were there go, yeah, that makes sense. You're yeah. right. Of course we have now this progressive revelation. We, we know more and we could see this fuller sense now. So of course we use scripture to interpret scripture yeah, without question. And I think that's where a lot of, of, of even how we learned how to preach and understand scripture of looking just at the context has thrown us off because we don't look at the entire context. We don't look at the focal point of scripture. We just look at what's there and we're missing things. We're missing Jesus when we preach the Psalms. Mm, you right, know, and and, right, and you, right. I, I had a friend who had preached in a church years ago, and he had preached through a psalm, and the pastor came up to him afterward and said, "You didn't talk about Jesus. Any Jew could have agreed with that whole message." And it was like, "Ouch!" I I think I've been that guy before, so I have some Me sympathy, too. right? <laughs> and too. then there's that preaching Christ through all of Scripture, um, Graham Goldsworthy. You know, that, mm -hmm. that, that, that book just sh kind of shattered my life for good. Mm. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. And, and yeah. for your listeners, you know, it used to be, and, you know, I jokingly say up until five minutes ago, <laughs> I mean, the Christian church has had scripture interpret scripture because yeah. there's one divine author. Yes. Different human authors. They have different mm -hmm. language, different cultures, but there's been one divine author. So it's okay to read old in light of the new, new in light of the old. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's how it has been up until more recently. And maybe it helps to put a historic point on it. 
you know, with the enlightenment, some good things happened, right? There was a lot of religious mm -hmm. abuse that happened and, you know, just believe us because we're the priests, uh, mm -hmm. give us your money, that kind of stuff, superstition. <laughs> but some, a lot of believers then picked up on the hermeneutics of the enlightenment, which would be naturalism. And now mm -hmm. it's only human author. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do, you know, us, the three of us and other uh, countless Christians like us return to confessionalism that affirms things like what we're saying. The confession mm -hmm. says only the Bible is special revelation. So I love that. It yeah. doesn't say it is special revelation. Only the Bible is, yep. but it affirms mm -hmm. things like one divine, ultimate human author, covenant of redemption. So we can reinterpret all of scripture yeah. in light of that. Mm -hmm. And it's a better alternative than biblicism. I was thinking about just the other day. Um, oh, years ago, when I lived close to where you guys live, I was doing mm -hmm. the night shift at Universal Studios. You're not, I'm confessing my sins on the episode. <laughs> you, you were, you were not allowed to read anything. This is pre cell phones, pre smartphones. And, you know, there I am like standing outside at the fake lake on the back lot, guarding the set <laughs> for a guns and roses video <laughs> as, oh, if wow. somebody's gonna, as if somebody's <laughs> going to come and steal it. So there I am doing nothing, but I had photocopied cha uh, chapters from John Walford's book on the millennium oh. <laughs> and reading it because that's what you do. So um, I was breaking the rules, but just reading it with my flashlight, me and the deer and the fox and whatever else would come to drink. But anyway, I digress. So, but he, you know, he said, there's a difference between the church, uh, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, it must be true. Well, no, no dispensationalist I know believes that anymore, yeah. right? It's based upon word studies, biblicism. Uh, but if you step back a couple of feet, you go, nobody believes that. It's just a different mm -hmm. way of describing the same thing. Uh -huh. But that's a kind of biblicism when you would reject confessions. You know, uh, Lewis Berry Chafer, the mm -hmm. founder of Dallas Seminary, way before Walford was president, you know, he was he used to affirm confessions, got rid of them. And then mm -hmm. he said some great things and some crazy things like, the resurrection of Jesus was only for Gentile believers. The resurrection of Jesus was not for the Jewish believers. Wow. <laughs> we all oh. know that they could not be justified because he was raised for our justification, but he wouldn't have had to do that kind of stuff. You don't, you don't need to do that. And he's probably smarter than we are. So now here we are less smart than Chafer, and we're going to make grosser errors Let's oh, read yeah. the Bible with the church. Let's pay attention. Uh, and I think it might prove helpful. Let's don't be a biblicist. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to confess that uh, I did a semester at Dallas <laughs> Seminary. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I wish when I could I first, say that. It'd be kind of cool. When I first started, uh, so uh -huh. I had some of the old old prof, but uh, steeped into, yeah, some odd, odd things I learned there. Um, I think it was there uh, learning about how the Sermon on the Mount doesn't apply to believers today. That's for the kingdom uh -huh. later. And just like, how, where, where, yeah. How, how do you get there? And just, yeah, interesting stuff. So. Well, you know, my brother, Mike just um, came out with the S. Lewis Johnson Colossians commentary. S. Lewis was there for a long time. Mm -hmm. he, got fired, he got fired for believing being a five point Calvinist by John Walvard. Um, yeah. But oh, the, I didn't know that. Yeah. The Colossians commentary is great because S. Lewis mm. paid, he wasn't a biblicist. He paid attention to history. Mm. He talked and he talks about the covenant of works in that commentary written in the 1960s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm thankful for that. And it's a good olive branch to, to dispensationalists. Um, so, but that's aside. I did meet John Walford one time. He was super friendly, um, mm. but that's an aside as well.
Yeah. Well, any wow. any books or works that you would recommend for people that are interested in thinking properly uh, about hermeneutics, maybe or or clear. Of course, by the way, let's mention again in Pat's book Covenant Theology, he has an appendix mm-hmm. on the issue of biblicism just to help us, you know, think through it. It's it's I don't know ten or fifteen page appendix, yep. something yep. like Easy that. Easy to read. Yep. Easy yeah. Read, short, short. Easy to read. Um, but any other books that you would say, hey, this is really helpful for creeds and confessions or, you know, biblicism, this theme? Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, one great Bible text is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, great indeed we confess, great mm-hmm. indeed we agree. And scholars of all different types say, oh, this is one of the church's first confessions. Mm-hmm. So there was already precedent uh, for things that all Christians could get behind and agree to. So, and then he goes on to explain this amazing reality about the work of Christ manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, literally justified by the spirit. Uh, so you've got incarnation, you've got you know resurrection, which assumes crucifixion, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory, you have the ascension. You know, so Christians who didn't have the Bible, which is most of them, they were mm-hmm. already memorizing key doctrines in the form of confessions. And so I think that's kind of a cool text to say, oh, there's already a a precedent for memorizing things that are doctrinally true. Um, And that that one's cool because it's inscripturated. Well, and anytime Paul says pattern of of sound words, right? That seems to fit that same uh, pattern. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Beyond that, uh, Carl Truman has a very helpful book on creeds and confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, the creedal imperative, I think is the name of that book. Yep. I cited in my book and yeah. he, you know, he says things like this. I do, I do want to make the point here that Christians are not divided between those who have creeds and confessions and those who do not. Mm-hmm. Ah, here we go. Rather, they are divided between those who have public creeds and confessions that are written down and exist as public documents subject to public scrutiny, evaluation, and critique, and those who have private creeds and confessions that are often improvised, unwritten, and thus not open to public scrutiny. Long sentence. I'm almost done. Not susceptible to evaluation and crucially and ironically not therefore subject to testing by scripture to see whether they are true wow that that's really helpful what we're talking about here jv fesco uh, my advisor for my dissertation and then the book he also has a book on creeds it's more recent that just came out i've not read that i own it um i'm sure it's good it'll come in the same spirit in the same tenor so I think those would be two really good resources about this matter. Um, I know in the uh, Matthew Barrett is writing more and more about these things as they would mm-hmm. relate to the doctrine of God. Yeah. So I just have in front of me, I was just reading the Biblicism section, the Reformation as renewal. And I don't know where you guys are on all those debates, but. Um, That's a big, thick book. Even if you're not, it is, it is. I've read like <laughs> 30 pages, but. You know, like Matthew Barrett or or not like him, I, I do like him. He's a friend, but yeah. all of the things we've been talking about are true regardless. Um, mm. But Matthew Barrett is saying things like this. Also, Carl Truman with him, you know, in our confessions, we say things like God does not have, I think I might have it written down here. Um, for example, oh, I thought I had it. Um, how about 
well, in our confession, the, the one, uh, here we go. Uh, this is Second London Baptist Confession, 1689. God is without body, parts, or passions. Hmm. Well, for a while now, uh, we evangelicals who even affirm that statement have made it mean something other than it was originally meant to mean. Hmm. So what does it mean for God to not have passions? Does that mean, you hmm. know, and therefore not emotions and... So regardless of where people are on the debate, it would be good for us to know what the original writers meant. Mm -hmm. And so if he does have passions uh, and he changes, what do we do with other biblical texts that say he doesn't change? Yeah. We've got to sort these kinds of issues out. So I, so Matthew Barrett is trying to say, hold on, let's not be biblicists. Let's pay attention to uh, the history of these things and how they were formulated and let's learn about why. And I think that's probably a good exercise. Uh, to, yeah. to go through these things. Um, but when I wrote my book, I didn't even, I'd never met Matthew Barrett. Hmm. And so some people are hearing me right now say, Biblicism is cultic, and they think I'm on their opposing side of the doctrine of God debate. And I might be, but that's yeah. not why I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it because of, of covenant theology. So other resources that we could talk about? Oh, I'm sure there are more, but those are the ones that are coming off the top of my head read read the creeds and confessions um yeah. there's that um other resources no, those are helpful oh, oh i do have one more i do have one oh. more um and maybe it's for you guys and for pastors who listen and maybe those who are ready for a deeper dive hmm. but justin taylor justin taylor of the gospel coalition i don't know if he's mm -hmm. still there or not he also was doing stuff for desiring god he's written some things uh, Justin Taylor, he did a PhD on John Piper and his, oh. yeah, it's worth looking up. It's interesting. Yeah. So, um, at Southern seminary and he has a chapter called something like Daniel Fuller and Biblicism. And it's huh. fascinating because he, yeah. you know, Dan Fuller was a mentor to John Piper yeah. and he yeah. talks about bi Biblicism and I'm sure I'm going to get some of the details wrong, but this is the gist of it. So Daniel Fuller is um, at Princeton and Princeton, this is post Machen, things are already drifting. Mm -hmm. And he, his professor was trying to get the students to not be confessional, <laughs> you know, to, to not affirm the Westminster confession because, you know, man-made theological constructs, we just need to get back to the Bible. Yeah. And it sounds pious and it sounds mm. so good. And you already, <laughs> you already see the trajectory and where things are going. And uh, off the top of my head, I don't think he finished there. But mm. fast forward a little bit, um, somewhere along the line, he line he gets into. I think it's Adler who wrote the book "How to Read a Book," and the yeah. best way to read. Yeah. So, yeah. Taylor talks about that in this chapter in his dissertation. And so you read a book by taking the pieces apart, studying the words, mm -hmm. and then Fuller gets his students um, to do diagramming and original languages because the best way to understand a book is by taking the pieces apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he talks about how some of these photocopies were showing up at, uh, of the students diagramming were showing up at Dallas seminary of all places. And remember Fuller didn't wow. like dispensationalism. Right. And so I found it so intriguing. There's nothing wrong with diagramming sentences, but there's this kind of, it, it, it's interesting to see that it comes out of, if that's where it's birthed in, in biblical studies, uh, not a radical commitment to sound orthodoxy, but actually one that's anti-confessional. Mm. 
And it's intriguing to me because, you know, I'm a, a, a master seminary graduate. Mm-hmm. I had a great experience, super thankful for what I learned there, not throwing them under the bus, but most of my professors came, you know, from Talbot and they came mm-hmm. from Dallas and, yep. you know, and then it goes back to Dallas seminary. Isn't it weird to think <laughs> that maybe we got our diagrammatical analysis <laughs> via Dallas seminary back up from Fuller the arch oh, rival man. of masters back up a step further from unbelieving Princeton. And my head is going to explode. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I would want to say, I, I, again, <clears throat> word studies are good, um, but they lead to cultic problems. Um, mm-hmm. when you don't have them somehow checked by scripture, interpreting scripture, sound mm-hmm. systematic theology, historical theology, reading the Bible with the church, Mm-hmm. Too, mm-hmm. too many mistakes are made that way. So there's my last little recommendation for intriguing reading. Yeah, that, that's really good and helpful. Good. Yeah. Well, you, guys can take that, you, can, you can edit that part out if you want. <laughs> no, no. We keep everything in. We'll keep it in. Good, good, good. Well, we're oh. running out of time in this episode. So yeah, a- any, any kind of summary thoughts or so, sola scriptura means mm. only scripture is inspired <laughs> revelation from God. Mm. But the Protestant reformers who championed sola scriptura were not anti-creeds and confessions. They were not anti-history. If they would have been, Calvin wouldn't have quoted Augustine who knows how many times. He's trying to say, look, Augustine was right. In Rome, you need to be more Augustinian. And so let, let's not be confused by that. Um, Keith Matheson mm. did write a good book, something like the shape of Sola Scriptura. I can't remember the title, mm. but he does a good job with it. It's not solo scriptura. It's sola scriptura. They're not mm. saying throw all your books away and only study the Bible with diagrammatical analysis. <laughs> They're not yeah. doing that. And so we need yeah. to remember that, that, that that's true. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Amen. Well, it's been it's been great having you on, Pat. Helping it's us been fun. Think Thanks, this. guys. You're you're great hosts. Yeah, thank you, thank <laughs> nice. you again. And uh, yeah, we'll put all the links to uh, Pat's ministry, the Pactum podcast, the book, and different ways you can get in contact with him. Um, hope you enjoy this episode. Any comments, questions, you know how to reach out to us. Feedback at rodandstaff.org. and we hope you will join us next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.